Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation. Today, my guest is David Swanson, who's the founding pastor of New Community Covenant Church, a multiracial congregation on the south side of Chicago. He also serves as the CEO of New Community Outreach, a nonprofit organization working to reduce causes of trauma and raise opportunities for equity in the city. He previously served as the director of church planning for the Evangelical Covenant Church, and he is the author of the recently released book, Rediscipling the White Church from Cheap Diversity to True Discipleship, which is where I uh, was first introduced to David. Uh, David, thank you for uh, joining me on this episode of The Conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So I want to just dive in. I uh, I know you through your book, which I just mentioned. Um, you know, uh, rediscipling uh, the white church. But um, you are people can't see you, but you're you're a, you're a, you know a, a white guy and a pastor. I am. I am. You are. And uh, and but Mike and I, we were just talking before we started this about your church, which is in uh, the Bronzeville part of the the city of Chicago, largely. Um, African-American community, so that's an interesting part of your story. But how did you find your way into this issue? You didn't start mm. talking about this, you know, in February of 2020. So how did you start find yourself into this issue, and, and how uh, that's now become a, a significant part of your ministry? Yeah. I, uh, I'm i a missionary kid, so grew up in Venezuela and Ecuador. My, my dad was a missionary pilot, and so up until high school, I lived in, you know, situations where you know, I experienced a lot of cultural and ethnic diversity where our family was typically in the, the cultural minority. And so I think in hindsight, that was, that was part of it. That's part of my story was being formed significantly in those ways to be probably a little bit more comfortable in racially or ethnically diverse contexts than I am in, in majority uh, contexts. Um, in, uh, in 2000, my wife and I moved from North Carolina up here to the Chicago land area for graduate school and started to get to know the city through some friends who were from the south side of the city. And you know, so as I was doing ministry in the suburbs for about five years in a majority white setting, we were spending a lot of time in the city and uh, was, you know, made aware of just these two very different realities, despite our, our relative proximity um, and started to, to really start. To, to think about the fact that here we are, the body of Christ, uh, spread out in, in a relatively small regional area, and yet those of us uh, who are white have this ability and this privilege to not necessarily know much about uh, sisters and brothers of color who may be, you know, living and worshiping in, in very, very close proximity to us. And so I think that started years ago, just kind of wondering about that. And why is it that we we didn't seem particularly interested in those, you know, those members of, of the of the body of Christ. And then in 2008, I was called to, to serve at a multiracial church in the city as an associate pastor. And this church then ended up sending a, a handful of us to start the church in the Bronzeville community, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, where we, where we are now and have been for 10 years. Uh, so I've been, you know, serving in multiracial uh, congregations since 2008. Mm-hmm. And, um, have seen this to be a, a really important expression of the gospel, right? That that our very being and essence as a community mm. in a very, very segregated city 
bears witness to the fact that God has accomplished mm. something um, impossible in, in Jesus, uh, reconciling us to himself, but also to one another. And so that's just kind of deep, deep in me. Mm. Uh, but that, that same question, that lingering question has, I think, always remained there. You know, why, why is it that aside from maybe some occasional multiracial congregations, as a whole, white Christians have not seemed particularly interested mm. in the kind of reconciliation that I think is, is all over the scripture and especially the New Testament. So you just, you, you gave me such a great layup. I mean, and, and you could talk for hours on any of these questions, but why is that, do you think? I mean, you just said a mouthful. White Christians, this is a general yeah. generalization, of course, but are, have, mm-hmm. are not interested. Why is that? Do you think? And again, I think if, if you or I as pastors were to ask the average white Christian, right. uh, you know, do you appreciate the diversity of the body of Christ? Everybody's going to say yes, right? Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're most of us going to be very thankful for that. But I'm interested at the, at the level of our desires, our wants, our loves. Um, I, I want to know why it is that we don't, at, at that level, move toward one another, again, these sisters and brothers in Christ. And my, my conviction is pretty simple. It's that there is a, another kind of discipleship that's at work on us, what I call a racial discipleship, that's pushing us not more deeply into the diverse and reconciled kingdom of God, but is pushing us toward a, a kind of racial segregation. Um, a, a comfort with uh, racial injustice. And we in uh, the white church have not recognized that secular discipleship. Mm. We've not identified it as a formational force mm. that is at work, again, on our desires, on our love, on our, on our wants. Uh, and so rather than identifying that discipleship as something that's pointing us away from God's will and God's kingdom, we've, we've kind of ignored it. Mm. And so we've, we've, we've gone about our work of discipleship without ever applying the gospel to this particular area. Mm. And so we, we've not necessarily asked people to make themselves vulnerable to being transformed or being changed in, in this way. Mm. We've done that with other things, right? We see other elements in our culture, our society, and we say, oh man, that that, that thing is bending us away from Jesus. And so we need to identify that and right. make sure our discipleship is being applied in this area. We simply just haven't done that with race. Hmm. And so I, I, I think that that is foundationally why it is that many of us don't want what we see the scriptures promising. Hmm. It's so interesting. I Even though I've talked with you before, the way you just said that, at least it gave me an image of when you say, I don't know how many people think about that they're discipled by the world. I guess, you know what I mean? They don't you think of that term, you know, 1 John 2, 15, that kind of thing, that, you know, the world is not, is an active um, system or systems, and it is discipling us. And I hear what I think I hear you saying is um, racism or race or in America, you know, there's more than one race problem, but let's say that the, 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 the problem with black Americans, which is very unique to our story, that that particular story the racism of racial um you know conflict or um inequities with black people is part of the um 
is part of the American experience, and it's maybe part of the the world that we live in, and in 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 some ways, or maybe even are, are more more benign than others. But it's I, I've never thought about it that way. That's an interesting, unless you apply the gospel to that. If I heard what you said, right, then you right. you just keep swimming in those waters. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's I think those of us who are Christians would say we understand that our world is not neutral. Right. That our our world suffers under sin. And again, generally white Christians, we're quick to acknowledge that in some areas and say, you know, of course we need the gospel to address these things. Right. But when it's come to race, I just don't, I don't think that we've, we've done that. There's a, a man named Brian Stevenson who started the Equal Justice Initiative and has written a book called... Just um, Mercy. Just Mercy. Thank you, Just Mercy, yeah. Yeah, the, the film also. And he, he talks about the narrative of racial difference. And I think this is a, it's a, it's a different way of talking what I, or, or describing the dynamics that I and describing as discipleship. He says there's this, this story that we've told about ourselves that justifies a kind of racial hierarchy where we see some at the top reaping more of the benefits and others at the bottom. Um, Meritocracy kind of a thing. or That's right. Yeah. That's right. And he says, you know, we see this. We've, we've always seen this in this country. We see this to this very day. If you look at any kind of you know, metrics of, of well-being and flourishing, we can see that hierarchy, that racial hierarchy is still very much in place. He said, so we had to tell ourselves a story to justify this. And it was a story that elevated some and dehumanized others. Um, and I think that's what's, that's what's discipling us mm-hmm. in, our, in our country. That, that narrative, you know, it kind of works its way into us uh, in certain kinds of ways. And this is, this is where we need the gospel to, to point us in a different direction. So I'm sure you, in, in all your conversations and even in the writing of your book, people have said to you, um, you know, why uh, structural racism or systemic racism it's, it, it is a thing of the past. I mean, right. I, I assume what they're thinking about is, you know, Jim Crow, et cetera. So w- when someone says that to you, you know, uh, you know, David, I appreciate what you're saying, but you're fighting uh, the past, an old fight. What, what do you say? Yeah. Yeah, and that's understandable, right? Because we have seen change in this country, and we we have seen you know legislation passed that reflects a desire for a mu- a more just and equitable society. So that there's a fair question. Um, but again, I'm interested in in outcomes. Uh, our our public schools today are more segregated than at any point since 1980, uh, I believe. You know, how, housing segregation remains uh, uh, rampant across this country. Uh, the generational wealth divide is just you know horrific. Where the the average African American person has something like seven percent of the wealth of the average white person, mm. and so if if, if if as Christian people called to compassion, you know, called to loving our neighbor as ourselves, these are the kinds of things that we ought to be interested in. We ought to, to be interested, yes, in the individual racist statement or motive, of course, but we also ought to be interested in what is it systemically or structurally that continues to lead to such uh, in, inequitable outcomes? How is it that our sin has not just infected our, our own hearts, but how the, the, the structures and societies mm. built by sinful people right. uh, are also infected by, by sin. Um, and, and so uh, I, I think that, that part of, of our challenge here is, is developing a, a slightly more robust theology of sin, that we understand that the world itself is groaning under this, this oppressive mm. regime of our own sinfulness and rebellion. But the flip side of that, of course, is that 
that the gospel and what, what, what God accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is big enough even for systemic and structural sin, right? Mm-hmm. Even for the way that we've made a mess of entire societies. Uh, so I, I want us to, to be able to apply that gospel to more of how sin has, has impacted us. And I don't want us to be afraid of thinking about systems and structures because, again, of course, they were built by sinful people like right. you and me. So right. how, how wouldn't they have our fingerprints all, all over them, right? But again, thanks be to God, the gospel can, can account for that as well. And I suppose another way of thinking of that question or answering that is, you know, um, that the systems and structures, however they exist, you know, you know, post-1960s, uh, as <laughs> you were just talking about, even that isn't enough, that is to say, um, right. probably um, some laws were changed in the 1960s-ish that um, the behaviors have not or the yeah. um, um, attitudes have not. Like you mentioned, segregation has gotten worse or poverty, concentrated city, city, uh, inter-city right. poverty, et cetera. So, so I guess I like what you were saying when it comes to the gospel. Um, we have to, it has to be more than changing structures mm-hmm. and systems, but not, mm-hmm. le- not mm-hmm. less, I guess. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Dr. King talked about this, you know, he, he was very uh, concerned with, with changing laws and yet he was quick to say that, that there's no law that can change a person's heart. That's right. um, and I just think we have a gospel that's big enough to, to call us to both, to calling us to, to a, a kind of interior, complete transformation. This is what Jesus promises us. He doesn't come to just clean up the outside, but to give us new life from, from the depths of who we are, but also to, to lead us into a, a caring engagement with those, uh, you know, with those societal realities that mm-hmm. are, are damaging our, our mm-hmm. neighbors. So I have noticed, and you've been thinking about these things longer than I have and others have, but in my you know, in in the in the in the last um, calendar year, let's say, as I've been thinking more about them, reading books and paying attention, I have of course been um, you know engaged with the um, the political movements that have become more prominent, not just in 2020, but let's say within the last five years. But Black Lives Matter is at the top of the list. But I'm sure that you've um, talk to people in your congregation or in your larger networks that say, you know, this, um, you know, these movements are fill in the blank, you know, Marxist right, or right. et cetera, and, and they are, and therefore it kind of becomes a reason to disengage. And I just wonder, you know, I guess what the way I think of it is, is, you know, Christians are entering the conversation at a political level and that's part of the problem. But I, I yeah. wonder how, how do you how do you respond to people who say I would get involved, but um, you know this thing is is politically um, a mess and it's uh, yeah you know, whatever yeah yeah. There's so much to say about that, and you're right that has definitely been a common conversation over the past few months for sure. I think you're right though that that if if race is one of the ways that we're discipled, then 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 partisan politics is certainly another one of those right, right? and. So our imaginations, even as we come to something like this, have already been formed right. to reduce things to certain partisan categories. It's helpful for me to, to recognize that in, in myself and, and, and be aware of, you know, how maybe my imagination is a little stunted be, because of that. Um, so I think that's a thing to say. I think another thing to say here, though, is that 
you know, there are many Christians who are concerned about movements like, like Black Lives Matter because they don't maybe align with our own uh, either faith convictions or political convictions. And I understand that, but I think we, we need to hold the mirror up to ourselves as well and say, well, where have we been? you know, over these, over these generations and decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a sense that if, if the church and the white church in particular had taken our place uh, in this struggle for racial reconciliation and justice, you know, showing care and concern for our neighbors, um, it would be a different situation right now. Mm. Uh, the fact is that many of us are, are kind of just waking up to this right now. And now we're aware that, you know what, there are people working for, for this who, who we don't necessarily agree with, with right. everything that they, they believe. Again, well, where, where have we been, you know, over, right. over these years that might chasten our critique just a little bit. Right. Um, I, I think it's helpful to get really specific though, and to acknowledge that when it comes to a movement like, like Black Lives Matter, we're talking about something that is very decentralized right. so that there may be kind of an official position statement on, you know, X, Y, and Z, uh, but within uh, this this kind of broader diffuse movement, you're going to find people all over the map. Right. Um, so again, I think we need to think about our imagination here for being engaged on a very local level uh, with neighbors who we love and trust and care for, and maybe not be quite as concerned about something that we find on the internet that we're you know afraid to get you know a- a- associated with. Right. Um, but here's the last thing I'll say. Um, it is interesting to me where it is that we as white Christians get concerned about our own kind of ideological purity because all of us, well, not all of us, but many of us are okay supporting certain political candidates. And almost all of us are going to say, here are the things I disagree with right. about this political candidate. Right. And yet I still, I still want him or her to succeed. I still am supporting this person. Right. We're used to doing that, right? We're used to, to string up the meat yeah. and setting out the bones. Right, I'm not voting Why? for pastor. I'm voting, you know, in chief or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what's the, what's the difference when it comes to this? And mm. I I, have, I think it has something to do with race and, again, our own kind of racial formation. Mm. Um, so I encourage people who are wrestling with this to, to think really locally, mm. to think about you know, who in your own community is, is proclaiming and living out that basic reality that black lives matter. Mm. Um, get to know them, spend time with them, figure out how you can be, be supportive of that. The fact is you're probably going to start meeting a lot of, uh, of black Christians and other Christians of color you yeah. know, who are involved in the movement. And you're going to find out how much you have in common with, with a lot of these neighbors. Mm. So what so attracted me to your um, book and, and, and getting to know you um, one, you're you're a white guy. I'm a white guy, just in the sense of understanding, and um, and you're pastoring a church that is more m- multiracial than the one I pastor is. But I think you're facing these issues as I've heard you speak. But one of the things that you say in your book, and I heard you say, is um, in so many words, you know, guys, you don't, or ladies, you don't need to blow up what you're doing, right? Yeah, um, that's right. And that's one approach. Um, you need to. Um, look at your discipleship practices and back to where you started this conversation about does the gospel big enough to address these and find ways um, to address this in your church. So um, that just say a few words about that approach because I think it's in some ways it's like, you know, the elephant in the room or the, or the, or the great bright idea that we're overlooking, but how did you come to this position? I, 
I think it was kind of straddling these two different worlds, watching how at moments of really uh, heated political rhetoric, I I was seeing how that impacted, you know, my neighbors in our community, people in our church. Uh, For a, a while there, not too long ago, I was working with some Latino church planters, and I was hearing sort of how this political rhetoric, which at that time was really kind of dehumanizing toward uh, Latino immigrants, how it was impacting people in their churches. And then I would be in, in majority white spaces, Christian spaces, and it was a completely different experience. And that's when I started asking, what, what is it about our discipleship that's not leading us to a greater you know, concern and, and proximity and solidarity with, you know, with one another. Um, I, I love how you said, I don't, we don't need to blow everything up because I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I, you know, I always pick up a book, a ministry book with fear and trembling because I'm afraid, you know, halfway through it, the author's telling me I, everything I'm doing is wrong. Right. <laughs> I need to start everything from scratch and right. it makes, makes, makes me tired. Um, I didn't want to do that. And in part because I actually believe that the way that our churches have discerned our, our corporate practices over the centuries really mm. are sound, and we see a we see a, a a pattern of these practices kind of across time and across place. Now the styles are very very different, right? Mm. Context matters tremendously, but in most congregations, people worship, and most congregations, holy communion is celebrated. In most congregations, there's a a, a moment where the gospel is proclaimed and children are formed spiritually, et cetera. And, and so I, I just happen to believe that all of these practices are just latent with potential that we've not yet tapped into. Mm. And I think the, 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 the switch to flip is the switch of realizing that this racial discipleship has been malforming us, deforming yeah. us away from God's intention. Once mm. we see that, then we can kind of reflect on these practices. What is it that, that the gathered people of God do together right. and say, okay, so what notes can we sound a little bit louder? What might we edit or tweak here or emphasize here so that how we are being formed already just forms us even more and mm. even more deeply into the people of God. Mm. And, um, so you you've talked about some of these. I mean, it, with me and 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 Proutside, and you do in your book, not in this call, but I mean, you know, whether it's preaching, yeah. whether it's um, communion, whether it's serving, whether it's partnering with right. other churches, these are all discipleship practices. But one thing that um, I've heard a lot of people say in this discussion, and in you too, but your emphasis is on discipleship practices, is the 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 need for people to. Um, educate themselves on the black history in America, you know, red, mm. redlining and right. Jim Crow right. and even things that you were saying a few minutes ago about, you know, segregation, et cetera. How, how important is that sort of piece? And yeah. if it is important, is it part of the discipleship process or is it sort of, P, uh, you know, plus or how, how do you, how do you um, bring that into this conversation? Or this That's work? a great question. I'm not sure somebody's asked me it quite like that, so I really do appreciate that. Um, it's been very important for my own formation. Right. Uh, you know that now my situation is I'm in a majority black neighborhood, and boy, there's a whole lot that I don't know and a whole lot of history that I wasn't aware of. So it's been very important, right, that I I, I learn some of that as much as I can. I I do think that it matters. Um, so so I would say that one of the kind of characteristics of being white is not needing to know the, the kind of history that you just described and mm-hmm. the kind of reality that you just described. 
Um, so our understanding of history can be a little bit more narrow as opposed to, uh, again, neighbors, friends, sisters and brothers of color whose histories are not necessarily represented in the history books, right? right. Or whose lived reality is not being portrayed in, in, in mainstream uh, media, for example. And so there's a, uh, an impulse in those communities oftentimes to dig deeper and to know a little bit more, more broadly. So I do think that that's one of the very small things that a white Christian could begin to do, you right. know, really easily. Right. Let's look, look at the, the books that you read over the past year. How many of them were authors of color, right? right. Or the, the movies that you watched, were any of them documentaries that kind of helped, right. you know, dig into some of this history just, just a little bit mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. I, I really challenge people to, again, think very locally. Learn the history of your town or your right. suburb. How did it come to be the way it is? Mm-hmm. Who used to be there? Who is it who feels like they couldn't have access to this, you right. know, to this community? Uh, oftentimes we assume that our geographical locations are the way they are by accident of personal choice. But there's usually a, a more interesting a story behind it about mm-hmm. who who felt like they could live here, who felt like they were not allowed to live here, mm. et cetera. So, yeah, I don't know that it, it's, a, it's a, a necessity, but right. boy, I think it's, it's helpful. And yeah. what a great way as, as well to, you know, draw a little bit closer um, to, to those people of color whose, whose stories we just might not have understood well, or known before. One of the ways I've thought about it is, you know, because people have said to me, I'm sure to you, even in my own congregation, you know, we get it, but what about, you know, Indian Americans, Chinese, Japanese, you know, what about other races who are also, you know, minorities? And that's not a bad question, but I, no. I guess where I come down is, um, it's, of course, it's not either or, but we've only enslaved one group of people, yep. you know, yep. um, you know, in, in, uh, we've all had hard times and different races in our culture um, have had difficult um, journeys into assimilation, if you want to use that word, but but uh, and maybe this isn't even true in France and in you know other places you know what i mean but in america obviously right. Um, right. the the uh, slavery is a major part of the american story the civil war and on, on, yeah. on, on. so i think there's where at least my growing understanding is to say you know there has to be something that we have to learn yeah. if we're going to have an honest um response to this I think, so here's how we talk about it in our church. Our church is about a third black, a third Asian American, and a third white. And so oftentimes, those who are Asian American in our church can feel like, man, is this just a black-white thing? You know, where's our story in this? And so the way we've tried to describe this is that as Christian people, it's very important that we learn to tell the truth about everything. We follow the one who claims to be the truth incarnate. So there is a truth about the um, the American story that again is not often described, and this this story involves a history of, like you said, a, a, what I would describe as an anti-black racism that was born out of kidnapping and enslavement and and so on. It's also a story that includes the the theft of of land. From, from native and indigenous people right. and, and genocide of, of, of entire communities. And, and this is for those of us who are white, I think the hardest one to, to swallow, this story historically is infected with um, you know, white supremacist assumptions. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the three-fifths clause built right. into our, our founding language or mm-hmm. the, the Declaration of Independence describes Native people as savages. And, you know, we see the debates in the Virginia House of Burgess about whether an enslaved person can be baptized or not. Um, we see Thomas Jefferson's language about some of this. So, so we understand that historically these, these forces have shaped who we are to, to this day not the sum total of who we are, but it is a part of our story. And if we can acknowledge that, then all of us, white, Asian American, Latino American, African American, someone who identifies as mixed race, etc., that's that's the ground that we walk on. Mm. We share this in common. Um, Now, from that place, we all have individual stories, we all have our own cultural stories, and there's a place and there's room for all of that. And in your context, you know, there may be the need for a particular focus with an indigenous group of people, right? Mm -hmm. Or more recent immigrants from, you know, I I don't know, you know, the the, the Philippines or. Right. um, So, so that, that's how we try to go about it. Mm -hmm. And we want to be mature enough to be able to tell the truth. And so, like we said, there's some reading, there's some study, there's some history to do. But within that, boy, we need all of us. We need all of our voices. Right. We need we need each of us to find find our place in the story so that we can be the people of God together. One of the questions you've talked about this some, um, not today, but I mean that I've heard you, but I'm st- I'm still grappling with myself. On so the discipleship practices makes a lot of sense to me. You know, start where you are and try to address um, racial discipleship. You know, the world's racial discipleship, as you put it. Um, you know, with the gospel and in in the ways that you're already discipling your church. But this other thing that some people have talked about in you is um, the need to lament, the need for, you know, um, I know some some people, you know, even to, um, I don't know, uh, to um, repent that you're white. I mean, no, I don't, that might be the wrong way to say it, but right, I know right. that, that that really, um, I think, is, is a little harder pill to swallow. Maybe there's a better way to say it, but is that important, let's say— um, you know, I've heard people say all kinds of crazy things, you know, like, you know, my parents, my grandparents came here at such sure. and such a time, which was, you know, post this or post, whether it was yep. post uh, reconstruction or post, you know, even, uh, you know, so what do you, why, why do you point a finger at me? And right. um, not sort of understanding maybe this sort of collective um, mm-hmm. privilege. So um, how important is that? Or is that a big distraction? Or I just wonder, you know, this whole idea of lament yeah. or repentance or acknowledgement of white privilege, maybe that's what I already say. I think it's incredibly important, but it's important because we're Christians. Uh, I don't know if I would think it was important if I wasn't a Christian. That's good. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah so, you know, Western ideology, Western culture is really rooted rooted in a kind of individualism, in, in part at least, right. so that we're formed to think of ourselves as autonomous individuals engaging with other autonomous individuals. Right. Uh, when we meet somebody, we ask, what is it that you do? Whereas, you know, other cultures, it would be, uh, who are your people, right? Who, right. Who's your family? Right? Right. We want to kind of place familiarly. Right. Um, so, so I think that, that that formation can make it really difficult to right. think about idea of corporate lament or corporate repentance. I love uh, the book of Nehemiah, and I love how that that book begins, because here's Nehemiah. He's in exile, but he's in a a, a position of pretty significant access or authority, right? And he receives news from back home uh, about how horrible things are, and the walls have come down, and the people are vulnerable, and it's it's a scene of, of devastation. 
And Nehemiah's very first response is to lament and to repent. Even though he's not the one who is right. at fault, right? Like he, you can say, Nehemiah, this whole thing is your fault. The reason that, that right. Jerusalem was laid waste, he wasn't even alive, right? Mm-hmm. During those times of idolatry and injustice. And, right. and yet he places himself in that story. Right. He asks for God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. He repents. And, and, and moves in the spirit of lament. And I think that's, that's what we're after, right? People will sometimes say, well, what am I supposed to feel? Just guilt all the time? You want right. me to just feel shame all the time? No, right. look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah did not move in, 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 in shame. Nehemiah was not overcome with guilt. He put himself into the story. He said, mm-hmm. I am a part of the story. And so I'm going to fully engage in it in a way that is is appropriate. I'm going to repent as a, as a person who comes from this people. I'm going to lament for what is happening in this city. And then I'm going to move forward. I'm going to worship. I'm going to take courageous risk and action. I'm going to be a good leader, right? None of that, none of that froze him up, right? If anything, it kind of in, inspired his movement forward. So that's what I want to say to white Christians is, as we grow in our spiritual maturity, our, avail- our, avail- our ability to see more of these difficult truths, there's going to be really painful moments. There's going to be moments where we do feel some shame. I mean, I've right. had this. How do I not know this history? How right. am I 40-something years old and I never knew you know, what so many of my sisters and brothers have, have gone through? Um, there's going to be other moments of, of, of connection where I realize, my goodness, the same society that has given me some benefits has worked to really you know, hurt uh, other people. And, and so there's lament around that. And there is repentance, too. They're saying, hmm, that's, a, that's a, a status quo that I've gone along with that's mm. not neutral. Mm. That's, it, it's, it's going the wrong way. And so, yeah, there's some repentance there. But at the end of the day, what we're looking for is people who are mature, mm. who are responsible, who are linking arms with their sisters and brothers in Christ and saying we're in this together mm. and we want the best of one another. That's that's the goal, right? And right. I think this is what biblical repentance does. Yeah. It's active. It's not leaving you sitting in a corner and wallowing in your shame. It's acknowledging that the gospel meets us here as well and compels us now into uh, into action. Well, you know, it's so important for me, and maybe hopefully for others. And in, in the last minutes that you just spoke, is you know, I think you said something like, "If I wasn't a Christian, then I might not yeah. think this way." And it says to me a couple things. The churches, um, the follower of Jesus and the church, our response shouldn't be what the world is. We might share some things, you know what I mean? We're right, against this right, or we're against that. But but judging our response, should we join this bandwagon or that bandwagon, right, um, is right. really is not the way to think about it. And the church, in a manner of speaking, may have um, a calling and even success that the world may never have. That's right. And I think that's so interesting to think about because, you know, um, we're not called to. Um, it, it would. It's almost. We'd almost say it's against the gospel to expect people who are not followers of Jesus. We don't want to. We right. don't want them to to do things without um, having a changed heart. But as a Christian, you know, we we should be doing things differently and expect yeah. things differently from ourselves that the gospel demands and. And I, I hope that becomes stronger in my life and in our churches because I feel like at some level, maybe it's a presidential year, I guess, that much of the conversation, even with you know serious Christians in my church and in this you know in the church in at large, 
it's really another version of the Black Lives Matter and, you know, on and on, you know, Marxism or whatever yeah. these other things. They're not yeah. unimportant, yeah. but we're, it's not like we're not really, we're having the same conversation that the world's having. And it seems like that's, that's right. there's something missing there. I could be wrong about this, but my hunch is that for many white Christians, when we come to this conversation, we have this sense that, you know, that somehow our our society at large is has really moved forward on conversations about race and, uh, you know, maybe is more enlightened than, than most Christians are. I'm here to tell you that's just not true. Right. <laughs> the vast majority of this country is, um, you know, uninterested. And is deeply content with the yeah. status quo, particularly those of us who are white right. uh, when it comes to race. And so the opportunity right. for a congregation to live in an alternative manner because yeah. of who, who we worship, right. because our, our conviction that Jesus is Lord over everything, the opportunity to, to bear a powerful witness still remains. Yeah. Um, and, and and we shouldn't assume that we're going to be applauded for it either. That's you know, right. I mean, the pursuit of, of God's version of righteousness and justice. Yes, like you said, there'll be moments where it aligns with where right. our, our society is. Yeah. But there's going to be a whole lot of other times mm-hmm. when people don't get it, they're confused, uh, or they just flat out oppose us. Yeah. Now, I kind of think that Jesus prepped us for that. That's I think right. he warned us about that. That's right. uh, In this world, you'll have trouble, right? That. Yeah. That's right. So, a couple more final questions, just for you. You, you, you. I was amazed because you have this on your website of your uh, both your um, longer reading list. Um, you've done a lot of reading on this subject before writing your book, um, and even your 2020 reading list. But if if anyone is listening to us that says, "Okay, um, um, uh, this is helpful," but I am interested in a book or two, whether it's um, about what the church should do, what the gospel is. Um, I have, um, what's his name's book, and I haven't read it yet. Is it Jennings? Who's the guy that wrote the, um, anyway, I've, I've, I know that's a serious book, but I mean, there's many, but I mean, that's that's more of a, maybe it's a pastor's book. But when you think of anyone that say, here's a good book or two, including yours, which I'm, of course, reading um, about rediscipling the white church, which is kind of, a, maybe helps for, it's like a church book for, for people uh-huh. that are doing what we're doing. But is there a book or two that you would say would be great for the, um, you know, a thoughtful Christian to read on at this moment? Yeah, yeah. Let me try to limit it to just a couple. So <laughs> one would one would be my friend uh, Daniel Hill's book that's called okay. White Awake. Okay. Daniel is a pastor here in Chicago, also the multiracial church. Okay. And what his book does so good is help white Christians unpack our racial identity and uh, how it oftentimes has not been formed by our identity in Christ. Okay. So it's a deeply biblical book, very accessible, really, really helpful. Okay. It's, a, it's a fantastic resource. Um, I would encourage white Christians to be reading Christian authors of color. So I'll give a couple in that category. Uh, Latasha Morrison, some, some of your listeners will be familiar. She started an organization called Be yep. the Bridge. Be the Bridge, yep. yep. And so her book is called Be the Bridge as well. Mm-hmm. And again, very accessible uh, digs into some of these topics related to race, reconciliation, justice from a, a deeply Christian perspective. 
Uh, and then there's another book called The Trouble I Have Seen, The Trouble I've Seen by a professor in, at Messiah College, Drew Hart, H-A-R-T is his okay. name. Mm-hmm. And what Drew does so well in that book, again, deeply biblical, kind of tells some of his own story. Uh, it's very, very engaging. Um, it's a great way to kind of get into somebody's story and at the same time get a good education around, you know, some of the terminology that we've been using today. Excellent. And just for fun, for people to get to know you, and, and, and when you think of the last year, maybe it's maybe it's not one of these books. Maybe it's, you know, um, Jane Austen, I don't know. But I mean, uh, what, 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 uh, uh, what in book have you read in 2020 that you have found particularly inc- interesting or inspiring or challenging of any kind, any genre? Well, this is super random. Uh, it's called English Pastoral. Hmm. Uh, it's not about pastoring. It's about being a shepherd. Hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the author's name right now. It's slipping me. Um, but it, it's the second book that I've read by this author. And he is a shepherd in uh, in the the British Lake, Lake District, I believe. So it's contemporary. Uh, it's contemporary. Yeah, this oh. book just came out. And I, you know, sort of, I, I, I really am interested in God's creation. I'm mm. really interested in um, the way that God intended this world to shape and to form us. Mm. Um, one of my convictions is that that one of the really grievous things about race uh, and the kind of the way that, that humans constructed race is that it it pulls us away from God's desire for His creation to be what mm. what's most about forming people and communities, and we've replaced it now with this human invention of, of race. Mm. And so, anyways, he's a beautiful, beautiful okay. author, or a beautiful writer, and a fun book, and kind of helps me to imagine a little bit um, something a little different. Great. So, final question: Are you optimistic um, about um, the American church? You know, I mean, obviously, we're looking through the lens of of race, but you know, are you? How do you feel? We're about to end this you know, very unusual of years. Um, and, uh, how, do you, how do you feel about the church in America? Yeah, unusual is an understatement. Yeah, isn't right, it? Right, of course. Yeah, I, um, so, I, you know, is it Leslie Newbegin who says I'm neither an optimist or a pessimist, mm. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yeah. And uh, I love that. I love yeah, that so great. much. He is great. Um, I, I think that, when I think of the American church, I think about the churches in our neighborhood who are these, again, predominantly African-American churches who have, many of them, been serving the community for over 100 years, um, have, were, were, were sometimes the anchors in the community when no one else would even you know, think about the, the, the concerns and the issues in the, in the neighborhood. It's hard not to feel optimistic, right, right. when I'm in relationship with these kinds of congregations and, and have seen their faithfulness modeled, you know, in, in front of me. I'm optimistic uh, about conversations like these. You know, when I wrote the book, the, my prayer was that, uh, that, that white churches would begin to see that we have a really important role to play in the spiritual battle for reconciliation. Um, too often, white Christians see this as being something over there. You know, this is something that that Christians of color think about are multiracial churches. Mm. And I want us to see that, no, we have a really important role mm. to play. And I've been pleasantly surprised at how many folks are actually grappling with that. Yeah. But that, that does make me optimistic as well. Yeah. But I have to say that um, if all of that goes away tomorrow, right. um, we do have a hope 
in Christ that transcends any of our circumstances. Right. And this to me is the promise of 2020, right? That, that when everything else is stripped away, the tomb is still empty and Jesus is still ruling and reigning. Uh, the, the, the first fruits of that final creation have already been born. And this is our compass. This mm-hmm. has always been the church's compass. And so regardless of what we see around us, whether there's moments of, of, of optimism or not, we can remain faithful. Um, that's, that is the rationale of our very existence. So yeah. um, optimistic some days, other days not so much, but you know, generally pretty hopeful. Well, David, thank you so much for taking this time with me. Uh, you've given me more time than this. Thank you for all you're doing, and thank you for this conversation. And uh, and who knows, maybe we'll have another one. And uh, maybe when the world turns back on, I'll, I'll I'll come to Bronzeville for something. That would be great. But thank Just you. Just come so hungry. Much. Yeah. Okay. Hungry. All right. All right. Good. We'll I'd love you. it. We'll feed you very very well. I love it. Thank you so much for the time. Friends, thank you uh, for joining us today and look forward to continuing the conversation soon.